How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul and have sorrow in my own heart all the day long? How long shall my enemies triumph over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord. Light up my eyes that I may see, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I have been shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Does it sound like any of you? Do you ever find yourself struggling with um, how long, God? How long is this going to go? What I really love about this psalm is the, the honesty and the authenticity of the psalm. There is something there that is deep within. Pastor Tim last week um, took us through a psalm where the psalmist was on the verge of complaining. Um, and he was being counseled not to go down envy and not to go down a path of sin. Um, but here in this psalm, David is crying out to God, not complaining as much, uh, not sinning in his complaint. He is raising his cry to God. Uh, six simple verses. And in those simple verses, I think what it does for us is it gives us an idea of how we can cry out in anguish to God, how we can call out to him for discernment, how we could seek him in our deepest times and our greatest trials. So I entitled the message, When God Seems Distant. I bet you there are times in your life where it feels as though that God is just not there. You, you're lifting the prayer request, and it seems like it's going no further than the ceiling. And it seems almost at times that God has turned his back on you and left you. And then, then you start to look at the world that's around you, and you wonder, why is it that people around us seem to be doing so much better, and I, as a believer in Christ, am struggling? There are three themes that I want you to consider this morning. Uh, first is that David cries out to God in his pain. In fact, one of the reasons why he doesn't go into deep despair and despondency is because he cries out to God in his pain. We need to become proficient at doing that. The second theme I want you to consider is this, that he called out to God in prayer. It wasn't just crying out to God in his pain. He called out to God in prayer, and he lifted his prayer request, very specific prayer request to God. And then the third theme I want you to consider um, through these six verses is the fact that he concludes with praise. That sometimes praise has to come even when our feelings have not aligned with it yet. That I can lift words of praise to God. I can worship him even when I don't feel it or even when my experiences haven't changed. That's really important uh, for us to consider this morning. So how honest are you? When somebody walks up to you this morning and says to you, how are you doing? Do you put on that complimentary, yep, I'm doing great, my week is wonderful, and then you walk away and you've been really struggling? Well, David's not lying in his uh, approach. He's not covering up the struggles, he, and he brings his struggles right to the throne of God. So let's look at these three themes this morning and try to figure out how we can best learn from them. 
The first theme, as I said, is he cries out to God. It's interesting, in Hosea chapter 7, verse 14, it says this, they do not cry out to me from their hearts, but they wail on their beds. They don't cry to me, God says, that as they're going through their troubles, they're not crying out to me from their hearts. What they're doing is just crying in their bedrooms and not leaving. And, and David was going through this time of pain, but David is now turned from his frustration and his fears to his faith. He has turned from his pain to prayer and to praise. One writer, Philip Johnson, said this, two hallmarks of this psalm is this, it's brevity and it's honesty. It's very short. You don't need long-winded prayers to get your point across to God. You don't need long-winded things to get an answer from God. And we need to be brutally honest with ourselves, and we need to be brutally honest with others, and specifically with God. As you go through your times of depression, do you oftentimes have times of fear? And when you go through these times of depressing times and circumstances, do you find that as the circumstances come at you, things come out of you that you could never understand? Well, what comes out of you is based on what you believe deep down within. How you interpret the world, how your perspective is there, your outlook in life, your convictions, what you believe about God, what you believe about yourself, and what you believe about the circumstances is going to make all the difference in the world, and David's going to help us to see that this morning. So let's look here in verse 1. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me? forever. Now, David starts with this first line about being forgotten by God. Now, forgetting is somewhat passive. I, I forget to do something. I forgot to fill out something. I forgot to complete something. That's passive. And what David is saying is this, that God, it seems as though in a passive way, you have seemed to overlook me. You've forgotten about me. To be wiped out of your memory, to be falling into oblivion, God, have you forgotten me? But David intensifies that forgetfulness by saying, have you forgotten me or will you forget me how long? Forever. No end, completely. What a dark thought that must be to be total, totally and completely forgotten by God. He is on the edge of questioning whether he has been abandoned by God, but it doesn't stop there. He moves to the second line where he says, how long will you hide your face from me? Now, if forgetting is passive, hiding from somebody is active. I have actively chosen to hide from you. And David is questioning, wait a minute, God, you have, you're hiding from me. I don't get this. It doesn't make sense to me. He says, you've hidden your face from me. Can you hold your finger there and turn with me to Numbers chapter 9? Numbers chapter, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 6. And many of you may be familiar with this blessing um, that um, was given to Aaron to be given to the people of God. And in Numbers chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it says this in chapter 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, and here's the blessing, the Aaronic blessing they call it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his what? 
his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance into you and give you peace. See, the Israelites would look and they say that I can look in the very face of God symbolically here. And it's almost like you take somebody by the hands and you grab their face and you bring their face close to you, the intimacy, the closeness that is there. But what happens is you try to bring that person's face to you and they turn their face away from you. In essence, that's what David is seeing here, that God, it seems like passively you've forgotten me. Second, God, it seems like you're forsaking me. You turned your face away from me. And I desire that deeply. I desire that you turn back to me. We don't want to be rejected. None of us in here wants to be abandoned. None of us in here wants to be forsaken. Yet, that's the struggle that many of us struggle with. We struggle with feeling rejected at times on a human level, and we question at times whether God has forgotten us. We crave the smile of people. Dad, will you please just look at me? Will you see me? Will you turn your face to me? And David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, O Lord, will you hide your face from me? How long? You know what how long means? It literally means until when. You know, when you go through a struggle, and it's a short-term struggle, almost all of us can go through a short-term struggle. But when that struggle continues and continues and continues, that is where we start to lose our patience. That is whether we can figure out whether we can endure or not, whether we can persevere through this trial. Andrew Fuller has this interesting quote. He says this, It's not under the sharpest but the longest trials that we are in most danger of fainting. When Job was accosted with evil things in great succession, he bore it with becoming fortitude. But when he could see no end to his trouble, he sunk under them. See, it's not the quick succession of problems. We, we can deal with those. But it's the fact that that problem seems to be lasting and forever, and it doesn't stop, and I don't see any end. How long, O oh Lord? Well, David was looking upward to God and saying, God, it seems like you have forgotten me and forsaken me. Then David is not getting counsel from God that he wants. So then what does he do? He goes inward towards himself. Verse 2, he says, how long must I take counsel in my own souls? How often do you do that? When you're not getting the answer that you want and you're crying out to God, then how often is it that you try to figure out your own counsel, try to figure out your own plan? How often is it that you will go to other people? Will you start to research all the self-help books and all the things? I go on the internet and Google trying to figure out some type of wisdom to figure out my problems. But the problem is this, that as you go internally and as you go out into the world, inevitably you will find the problem that he has here. And I have sorrow in my heart all the day long. It doesn't work. See, when we get depressed, what we do is we turn inward on ourselves. We're trying to look for everything within. Everything turns inward when we're depressed, when we're in misery, when we're in suffering, when we're afflicted. And time after time, when you're looking inward for your answers, you will find that you will find no answers. You will find no solutions. What you'll find is greater pain, greater suffering, greater confusion, greater despair. Sorrow upon sorrow, and God, I can't seem to escape it, and I'm drained. Oftentimes, I know that when I'm at my worst times, I have this worst-case scenario thinking. I will go within, and then I start to envision all the worst-case scenarios that are there. Maybe you do, do the same. And as you're going within, trying to find answers, you're not finding it. You're looking up to God. God, it seems like you've forgotten, forsaken me. But then there's a third place that he turns. He looked 
upward to God, didn't see an answer. He looked inward towards himself, couldn't find an answer. And then he moved to the third area. He looked outward to the world. He sees verse 2, B. He says this, how long shall my enemies be exalted over me? And so now I find when I counsel people is that the deceptive thoughts lead to dark emotions in their lives. That if I have lies that I believe, those lies that I believe will influence the way I feel, my perspective in life. I often say to my clients that if what you think or believe does not reflect truth, then how you feel does not reflect reality. If what you think or believe doesn't reflect truth, then how you're feeling doesn't reflect reality. Well, David is thinking and believing things that are not true. God has not forsaken him. God has not rejected him. And the enemies are not going to ultimately win over him. But he is clouded in his thinking right now. And he's crying out to the one that is going to be able to give him discernment. As he's looking outward to his enemies, it seems as though they're winning. Now, we don't know who the enemy is. But one thing I, sh one thing I should tell you is this. Um, we don't know when this psalm was written, so we don't know who the enemy is. Some um, believe that it could be Saul, and if you remember, after David was called um, to be king, and Saul found out he was still king, that Saul was looking to try to destroy him, it could be then. Some think it may be after David has become king and his son Absalom is fighting against him, if you remember, it could be him. The enemy is vague, and I think that's good, because that allows you and allows me to look at this psalm and say, my enemy seems like he's triumphing. I don't know who your enemy is. I don't know if your enemy is a disease. I don't know if your enemy is a relationship. I don't know if your enemy is your boss. I don't know if you think your enemy is your spouse. I don't know if you think your enemy is your family relations. I don't know what you, or maybe it's the society that we have, the leaders in our government. I don't know who you think your enemy is, but it, if your enemy seems like he is prevailing, that can get pretty distressing. There's a world of difference between what appears to be happening on the outside and what's really happening in reality. And David recognizes that what he is seeing with his eyes may be obscured and he needs to be able to see differently. He needs a different perspective. Now, when you get to a place in your life, you have two paths that you can take. You can take a grudge path or a grace path. A grudge path will go down this path of resentment, and you will seek revenge against the perceived enemy that is out there. But if you go down the grace path, it's a path of resolution. It's a path of reconciliation. It is a path of peace that is here in your life, but you choose. And David, when he was being accosted by this enemy, and we don't know who he is, but this enemy, David had a choice. I can go down the path of grudge, or I can go down the path of grace. And he chose to go down the path of grace. We can sit in silence or we can seek the Lord. We can cry out in bitterness or we can cry out to the Lord. See, God speaks to you through his scriptures. The very fact that we have Psalm 22 today, is, uh, Psalm 13 today, is the fact that God wants to speak to you through this psalm. He wants to give you all of these psalms and all of scripture so that you can understand who he is and who we are and how we can live this life. So as we go through this psalm and praying through this psalm, what we can find is an answer to the greatest struggles that we have. So David first cried out to the God. He, will, he looked upward, and what did he find? He looked upward to God and it seemed like God had forsaken him and forgotten him. 
But then he looked inward towards himself, and as he looked inward towards himself, he couldn't find any answers, and he was finding himself sorrow upon sorrow. And then he looked outward to the world, and it seemed like his enemies were winning, and he was getting distressed. And David went from crying out to God in pain to the, the second thing he did was he called out to God in prayer. Oh, we desperately need to do that today. Why is it that we struggle so oftentimes with prayer? The, uh, the truth of the matter is, prayer is this uh, wonderful tool that God has given us. It's the, one of the most underutilized tools in the Christian arsenal, but it is also one of the most effective. And if you can get to become skilled at knowing God's word and skilled at praying God's word and praying to God in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, God wants to answer you. See, God answers you through his word, so you need to become a student of his word, and he listens to you through prayer. That's how this line of communication opens up. So if you're not in his word as you're going through the struggles, and then if you're not praying, you're missing that communion with God. God says this in James chapter 4. He says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. That is a sure and fast promise. God promises us in Joshua chapter 1. He says this, no man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For God, which you shall call this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do what is according to the law of my Moses, my servant had given you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from my mouth, but meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God promises you so many wonderful promises in his word. Do you know it? Do you know the truths? Somebody said there's like 4,000 promises in God's word. I don't know. I've never taken the time to count them, but there's a lot of them. A lot of answers to the pain that you're going through. God keeps his word. So as David has cried out to God in his pain, he calls out to God in prayer. Verse 4, verse 3, he says this. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. It's interesting that he says that to consider. Consider literally means to, to, to gaze at me again. See, he has seen God seemingly turn his face from him. And what he's asking is, God, please gaze upon me intently once again. Consider me. But he doesn't just simply ask, gaze upon me. I want you to answer me. I need you to listen to me. Look at me and listen to me. Please. I love one little word right here in verse 3. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord, and then he says, my God. That David is not just looking at God as set apart and as distant. When God seems distant to him, David is pulling back to the truths that he knows are real, that you are my God. You are present with me right now, and David is calling out for God to present himself once again to him. God is a sure and fast anchor for our soul, a very present help in times of trouble. So that when we're in our suffering, we need to cry out to God and remember his promises and continue in those promises and claim his gifts of grace. 
Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So in this prayer, David gets very specific. He has three requests. Consider and answer me. Look intently at me, God, and listen to me. His second request is found here. He says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Then he says, light up my eyes. That's his second request, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And his third request is, lest my enemies prevail over me. He wants his enemies to be stopped. In essence, what he's doing is this. As he says, consider and answer me, he's calling out for the presence of God again. Now, God is everywhere present. God hasn't left him, but David wants to sense his presence once again. He wants to sense that God is looking at him and is wrapping his arms around him. God, I just need to feel you here this morning. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. You may have seen this word Lord here a couple of times. In verse 1, it says Lord. And if you look in your Bible, it should be capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. You'll see that same word again in verse 3, and then again he brings it up in verse 6. Now, you may be familiar with this, but um, there are different titles for God. And at times in Scripture, we will have capital O, little o, little r, little d. And that, in essence, is usually Adonai, that God is our master. But when God is written in this capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the covenant name of God. It's, it's Yahweh. It is the special name of God that God has given to his people, to his people Israel, and then now to us. And what David is crying out as he is calling out to that name, Yahweh, is that it's not just you're a master or a ruler, you're my God, you're my Yahweh. We, we, in the New Testament, call him my Father. God, my Lord, my Master, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, we can cry out in this personal way. David is crying out in this personal way for the presence of God. He says there in verse um, 3, he says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Commentators are um, somewhat divided about this. Some are wondering if he is talking about spiritual insight, that God give me a spiritual insight so that I can see. Um, others are thinking that it means power, that God empower me lest I die. I think it could be both. That God, I am crying out to you because my eyesight seems hindered right now. And as I look at you, you seem like you're forsaking me, but I know that that's not true. It seems like you've forgotten me, but I know that that's not true. So give me new insight, Lord. And then I need power. That when you go through your times of depression, I bet you you find yourself drained at times. At times you can't sleep or you sleep too much and then you wake up exhausted. You've times you just feel as though you just cannot endure. And David is asking not only for the presence of God in his life, but he's asking for God to give him power. Well, the third thing that David asks for in this very specific prayer is he says this. He says about his enemies, verse 4, Lest my enemies say that I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now, David could be crying out just for his personal protection because he doesn't want to be hurt, which could be true. That God preserve me, protect me, which could be really true. But I think David has something deeper that is here. David is concerned for the very name of God. If God's people can be overwhelmed, if the enemy can have a final defeat 
of God's people, then God loses, right? God's name is hindered. And what David is crying out is that, Dave, God, I want you to look intently at me. I want your presence again. God, I need you to give me light so that I can see and empower me. But God, I also need you to help me through this trial right now so that your name is glorified. Your name is uplifted and exalted. So God, I don't want my enemies to rejoice because if they're going to take joy in my defeat, then what I'm going to find is that not only am I personally shaken, but your name is shaken. David cries out to God in pain. David calls out to God in prayer, very specific prayers. And then David concludes with praise. In Proverbs 23, it says this, as man thinks in his heart, so is he. See, David needed to start to think God's thoughts. He needed to humble himself. He needed to place his hope in God. He needed to glorify God. And then he would recognize that he was going to have joy. But his joy was going to be a fight. I think oftentimes we tend to believe that God is just going to turn on a light switch and all of a sudden I'm going to feel good. But my feelings are oftentimes driven by what I think and believe. So it is a fight for joy. It is a fight for hope as we focus our attention on God. And that's what David does. He says that I see the circumstances around. I see how it looks as though you're avoiding me. I see how things are happening around me. But God, I am not seeing really, so I'm calling out to you in prayer. And I need you to give me a new perspective in life. He says in verse 5 this. He says, but. I don't know what the word but means to you, but... um, Can I just read this quote from this uh, author, V. Raymond um, Edmond? He has this little book. I love this book. Um, But God. He went through Scripture and found all of these where it seems so dark in life, and then all of a sudden, God did something amazing. But here's, here's his explanation of the word but. But is a conjunction with a difference. And is likewise a conjunction, but it doesn't carry the same impact as but. To say and is to give additional information which may either be trivial or tremendous. However, the intent of the statement, it's quite complete without that which follows the conjunction. But is always of the contrary opinion. Not only does it add additional information, but it also changes the impression and the impact given by which it precedes its use. It qualifies, it alters, it, um, and not infrequently completely negates what was said before. What in essence he is saying is this. If I just add and to the equation, I'm just adding new information. I'm just adding to what I've just said. But brings a contrast. God, have you forgotten me? No, but you're here with me. God, have you forsaken me? No, but you love me with an everlasting love. David got a new perspective, and he started with this, but I. It's very personal. It's not you, it's me. I have to own this. God, I now have trusted in your steadfast love. My youth pastor used to say this. He used to say, life is not determined by what you want. Life is determined by the choices that you make. And to be honest with you, every time he used to say that quote, it used to drive me nuts. 
Huh? Life is not determined by what you want. Life is determined by the choices that you make. And, and growing up in the home I grew up in, I didn't want that. I didn't desire that. I didn't choose that. And every time he said it, I would find myself getting kind of fumed inside. And finally, you know, I let out my fume to him. And he said this to me, which was life-changing. James, there's so many things in life that you do not control. Many things around your life you're not going to be able to control. You're not going to be able to control what comes at you. You do have control of what comes out of you, James. And that if you choose the ways that you think and what you believe and your attitudes and your words and your actions, in spite of the circumstances, it can have a powerful direction on your life. And that is exactly what David is doing here. He's choosing wisely. It's a deliberate, it's an intentional, it's a purposeful choice. I know what I'm feeling, but God, I have trusted in your steadfast love. Who do you love? Where do you place your trust? Where do you turn to in the most difficult times in your life? Who do you worship? What's your greatest desire? David makes three specific decisions. I'm going to trust you, I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to sing. Trust you, God. Is God worthy of your confidence? Absolutely. That external circumstances that are happening around you don't determine the veracity of who God is. And David went back to this. I have trusted you. He looked back to his life, and I've trusted in what? Your steadfast love. See, God, I'm inconsistent, but you're faithful and steadfast. You have not left me. And then David says this, not only have I trusted in your steadfast love, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. He's looking forward to his salvation. We could look backwards to it. We could look backwards to a king of kings and a lord of lords who hung on a cross for you. I could look back with joy. David is looking forward to that salvation. I'm rejoicing in that salvation. And then David says, I'm going to sing. Because the Lord has been bountiful to me. I think I've told you this before, that many people have this tendency to live their lives at a deficit. They keep thinking of what they don't have, and they keep missing all that they have. And if you could just sit down and think about all the things that God has done for you and is doing for you and will do for you, it should cause you to have great praise no matter what the pain is in your life. Hebrews 4 tells us this, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw, throne, uh, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of trouble. So where do you place your confidence? Where do you place your assurance? Where do you place your trust? I love this passage in Isaiah. It says, for I fear not, I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So as you're going through your times of pain right now, I'm asking you, where do you turn? Sometimes when you've turned upward towards God, it seems as though he's forgotten you or forsaken you. It's a lie. It's not true. As you turn inward towards yourself, you're trying to find an answer and you can't, and it leads to sorrow upon sorrow. 
as you turn outward towards the world and you're looking for the world, it seems as though they're winning. I'm asking you to turn to God in prayer. Cry out to him in your pain, but turn to God in prayer. And as you turn to God in prayer, what God promises you is this. He's going to remind you that there is one that was truly forsaken for you. In Isaiah, it says this, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. What, what Jesus Christ did for you is he bore the forsaking so that you will never be forsaken. His back, God turned his back upon him so that God will never turn his back upon you if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ was forsaken so that I could be forgiven. Jesus Christ was condemned so that I could be accepted. Jesus Christ died so that we could live. Jesus Christ rose again so that we could be justified. And so now as you can clamp your mind on who you are and what God has done for you, it's just amazing. Who am I? I'm forgiven. I am reconciled. I am redeemed. I am rescued. I am bought with a price. I belong to God. I am known by God. I am chosen. I am justified. I am accepted. I am saved, I am free, I am secure, I am made alive in God. These aren't just words, these are truths that you desperately need to hold on to in the midst of the most violent storms of your life. Colossians 3 tells us this, let the peace of God rule your hearts. I pray that um, that word that God has given you can ring, ring deep in your hearts. If you're looking within, it's just going to be bleak. There's going to be no solutions. Be careful of wallowing in self-pity. Self-pity is never going to do anything for you. You need to turn forcefully to God. Be honest. And in your honesty, be honoring of God. God is okay with honest appraisal as long as it's honoring to him. David cried out to God in his complaints. I want you to remember a couple of lessons before we leave. The first lesson I want you to consider is this. Character is not built overnight. It's built over time. Character is not built overnight. It's built over time. You remember in Romans where it says, suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance what? Character. And character produces what? Hope. So that God knows that what we need in order to have that character and that perseverance is that we need to go through times of suffering. And God has filtered that suffering through his loving and gracious hands to you. And he wants to bring you through that suffering. He says, I'm there with you. I'm not going to leave you. And I'm never going to give you something that is too overwhelming for you. Remember in, second, in 1 Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is what? He's faithful and just to forgive us. And he'll bring us through those trials and provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. So first lesson I want you to know is character is not built overnight. It's built over time. The second principle I want you to consider is this, that you need to turn forcefully to God in your despair. Everything within you wants to run away. You need to turn forcefully. That's what David says, but I, it's emphatic. Turn to God in the midst of this despair, and then God wants to answer you. Third principle I want you to consider is this as we close. It's God's honor, not my happiness, should be your final conclusion. If God's honor and not my happiness is your conclusion, guess what's going to happen? You're going to find your happiness in God. But if my aim is my happiness and not God's honor, guess what I will find? Sorrow upon sorrow. In Christ, I want you to know 
that you are unshakable. David was afraid that his enemies would look at him and see him as shaken. In Christ, he's unshakable. In Christ, you're unshakable. So this morning, I don't know what your enemy is. I don't know what your trial is. I don't know what the difficulty is for your life. And, and perhaps for you, in many ways, it feels as though this trial has gone on for a long time. And it's not the sharpest sharpness of the trial. It's the length of the trial that seems disturbing to you. And it feels as though God is distant. Remind yourself of this. God loves you with an everlasting love if you trust in Christ. God will never leave you or forsake you. Turn forcefully to him and he will guide you through the greatest trials and the greatest struggles. And he wants to bring you home to him. And that's the whole goal of our lives. Lord, I pray